you would never live where I live if you'd thought that you might have a career like I've had in later life because really having to drive an hour and a half to the airport is not ideal but you know it was a career that I've had that I just could not not have had um, in terms of the issues that drove me to to start getting involved in in local government and in in, in advocacy organisation. This is a new season of Life on the Land a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural and regional Australia. Hi, I'm Sky Manson. I'm your host for this episode. Most of you will know today's guest, Fiona Simpson, as the first female president of Australia's peak body for agriculture, the National Farmers Federation. There's not many days that go by that she's not quoted in a newspaper seen on the TV or interviewed on the radio. But did you know that politics and advocacy were never really in Fiona's sights? She's ended up in this position because she didn't have a huge demanding job. Years ago, she was one of the women in her community that did have some extra time to take on the lengthy plight of farmers affected by the land development proposals of a multi-million dollar mining company. This lengthy process solidified where her passions really lay and she's gone on to represent farmers on all kinds of levels. But as you will hear today, Behind the scenes, Fiona Simpson really is your girl next door kind of woman who loves nothing more than making marmalade. She loves camping. She batch cooks for her family when she's away and just remains incredibly humble despite all she sees, hears and goes through. So an average day during COVID has changed for me significantly from what an average day was for me pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, most weeks I would drive to the airport, Tamworth Airport, which is an hour and a half's drive, um, on a Monday morning, hopefully this is an ideal week for me, um, leave home on a Monday morning, jump on the 10.20 plane, fly to Sydney and then hop somewhere else and then spend between Monday and Thursday or Friday um, travelling, speaking to community groups, to government, to stakeholders, uh, depending on what issues were live at the moment about National Farmers Federation policies and issues, issues that are advancing Australian agriculture, um, and also then squeezing in other board meetings along the way. So um, some of my boards sit in Sydney, some of them sit around Australia. Um, Sometimes some of my duties, particularly with the NFF, um, involve talking to farmers in regional Australia. So it might be travelling to regional Australia or being in Canberra talking to ministers and others. So a lot of travel every week, most days, lots and lots of airplane miles, um, lots and lots of hotel rooms. Um, But during COVID, it's all changed and I've been doing all that from home. (laughs) And what about in those busy times? What did you do on your weekends? 
Weekends spent at home, um, we really did bunker down a bit on the weekends because I had such amazingly busy weeks. Um, and I was really conscious, actually. So I have had an amazingly busy week where I've been talking to all sorts of people about all sorts of things. And I'm, you know, really, um, really wanting some quiet time. But my husband, on the other hand, has been at home all on his own um, with his with our family. And so he sometimes is wanting to get out. So we had to had to, to balance that out a little bit. It was important. We've been married for um, 30 over 30 years now so um and our, our our marriage and our relationships really important to us as is our family so we've sort of had to balance out over those busy times spending time together um taking some time out um spending some time on the farm because that is still my main gig um at, with you know seeing some friends for him and and being able for him to to get out and about um and travel a bit as well so um yeah that that's been one of the challenges and of the juggle my mum's always said to me that the best thing you can do for um, your your relationship in your family is to jump in the truck on a Sunday and go for a drive around the farm. How is that for you? That, that I just think that's such a grounding thing to do when you actually get out in the paddocks and have a look around. How does that feel for you? It's so grounding. Um, in actual fact, last weekend it was the side beside. It wasn't the truck. It was the side beside. Uh, and Ed and I went down and looked at the sorghum coming out of the ground and the sunflowers um, that we've planted as part of a, a regional agritourism sort of pilot now where we're trying to attract visitors to the region and, and agritourism in our region. So we hopped in the side beside. We'd had some lovely rain. Um, we wanted to check out whether the seeds had actually, you know, emerged whether how far they were out of the ground we had a forecast range so for me love doing that that's so grounding for um, me in terms of what's happening on the farm but also in terms of my day job um, it's so important and Ed is the like the grounder for me and my family's definitely the grounder to make sure I never get ahead of myself if I'm on the drama or Q&A or some of these big profile things they're just always taking me back down to size which is very handy but in terms of the actual advocacy it's so important that it remains grounded and sometimes Ed thinks, says things like what what are you saying what do you, what do you mean and I can spin something past him and he can put a real um, you know a real farmer lens on it that because I travel so much and I'm off the farm so much um, I just don't have access to so yeah really grounded love those visits and do try if we possibly can to to make sure I'm in touch with what's actually happening on the farm and what what's really important to my family and just out of interest who's the cook in your family me <laughs> You don't tell me that you do meals for when you're away. I do. So I wow. do. I've left last weekend. Um, so this is my first week. I'm actually talking you uh, to you from my first week away for a very long time um, where I've gone to Canberra and Wagga and I made a beautiful osso um with our own beef um, that was sitting in a, in a lovely casserole dish in the fridge for Ed and that would have done a couple of meals for him and we had a slow-cooked chuck roast just before I left to get our own, our own beef and that was for his cold meat for lunches. So he can he can now do things that he's never done before. Um, but traditionally, our relationship is that I'm the cook. Um, he he loves barbecuing. He does love experimenting with cooking now, and he's got very domesticated. Um, but but I, I still like the cooking, and I love marmalade making. I've mastered fruit sourdough. My family love my fruit sourdough over COVID. So and I I really enjoy cooking. Wow, that's so incredibly amazing and refreshing to hear. 
I just, do you, I mean, it's been a huge couple of years for you, Fiona, and it's your career has taken you into some amazing places and platforms. But was this ever your aspiration? No, um, this is the this is the most amazing thing, and I think you know. And to be honest, you would never live where I live if you'd thought that you might have a career like I've had in later life. Because really, having to drive an hour and a half to the airport to go backwards, you're going backwards to the airport to go forwards, is not ideal. It takes a lot of time out of your day and out of your week, the travelling bit, to to get to Tamworth to do that Sydney hop. Um, but, you know, it was a career that I've had that I just could not not have had um, in terms of the issues that drove me to, to start getting involved in, in local government and in, in, in advocacy organisations. And it has been so amazingly fulfilling. Um, but I've done it, you know, with the, the, it's been really critical to me that some of the things that I'm really passionate about, my family are really passionate about too. And even though they grumble and grizzle and I do miss some family events and, and some, some special times, um, we do really, everybody's on board. Everybody, the things that I'm really passionate about, they're passionate about too. But I don't think anyone thinks, oh, my God. And, and if you do actually, if you do go through life thinking, I want to be the prime minister or I want to be, nobody would ever think they wanted to be the head of the NFF because, oh, my, my God, who does that sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, but but in actual fact, if you just follow your passions and that's what happened to me and, and just kept getting involved and engaged and getting enraged about situations that I wanted to change, then that was that's how I've ended up um, doing some of the roles that I now do. So just lead me through briefly, if it's possible, your career trajectory to this point. Yeah, so I had the, uh, the, the pre-marriage stuff I'll sort of leave out. That was a business degree and a business career and doing some, some city-based jobs where I thought I would actually end up. Grew up in the, grew up in the New England on a, on a farm but never thought my future probably lay in regional Australia. I really thought I was going to be a city girl and an overseas girl uh, and worked overseas, worked in the city and met my husband and came up to the bush and um, and then continued on some of those sorts of professional connections for a while, even though our life on the farm evolved, I stepped up and got involved in the business of the farm. It's, it's a family farm, so the succession planning thing's always been a big deal for us. We've had to deal with it from our perspective and now for our children. Um, but my role on the farm's always been around the business. So the business sort of side of the farm can sort of be shelved a little bit if I was off farm doing some things. Um, but but my, the, the current stage of my career really took off when um, the mining licences, the coal mining licences were approved over Karuna, which is about 50 k's from me on the Liverpool Plains uh, where a number of my friends live. And they got very engaged. It didn't personally affect our farm or me, um, but our, our friends um, got really engaged and involved in an advocacy group to try and stop these coal mining licences and question, I think, these coal mining licences and make sure that they understood the agricultural value of our region. And they asked me if I could help. And as we went into that process, as we started to question why these licences were actually awarded, um, the community, our group was really pro the region, pro agriculture. We were never anti-mining, so to speak. We were anti the process about what was happening on our land in these on our farms to these families, which was very, very one-sided and, and had no consultation. And as we actually went through some of that process, I got more and more and more involved and engaged and enraged, I have to say, about 
how agriculture just wasn't part of the mix and hadn't been part of the mix and how these big, um, this massive changes in land use had been envisaged and supported and aided and embedded by the government without any consultation at all to people who were actively involved and engaged on a daily basis and in such a region where um, really one of the best agricultural regions in Australia with some amazing um, underwater supplies, etc. So, you know, as we worked with the community through that, um, the community decided that, and we had some really amazing things where we went to court, and I'll vividly remember this, we went to the, um, in those days, and, um, and you know, our group was actually really successful in getting rid of some of these things, but I vividly remember a day in the magistrates, what was then the magistrates court, the mining wardens court in Gunnedah, and the mining companies had got all the notices to our landholders wrong. They'd put wrong names, wrong titles. They'd included people who were dead. They'd given wrong addresses, that wrong property titles. And we were questioning whether they were valid because there were so many errors on the serving of these notices. Anyway, and the magistrate, and we had a, a Gunnedah lawyer who was doing a great job, but he was a single person with his sleeves rolled up, a bit like Dennis Denudo, you know, from the, from the castle. Um, he was going his hardest, and the mining companies had Minter Ellison, who's a very big firm in Sydney, and so they had 50 lawyers and 50 people towing, towing files and 50, you know, as soon as one of them got out of their seat to go to the loo, another one was there to step in, and whereas our lawyer had plastic boxes and, you know, sleeves rolled up and in a lather anyway and the magistrate said approach please approach the bench and they had to approach the bench and then he said it in a way where everybody because a tiny courtroom could hear and he said look guys this is ridiculous you know so they've got these notices wrong um you know we know who they mean they mean you know should we really be questioning these things this is just ridiculous let's get on with it these notices are valid move on and that court has now been abolished I'm really glad it's been taken out of the process. And it was so, you know, I was enraged about that. And following that, we then thought, okay, we need to influence the process. If this is the process, the process is wrong. And we need to all move on and go into places where we can start to change the process because we need to bring other people along on this journey. We're talking about changing state legislation, potentially federal legislation that is supporting this process. And we're going to have to move up to be able to do that. So. You know, they, we looked around the group and said, who's, who's got some, some time to um, perhaps go on local government? The local government elections were coming up. Um, who's got some time? What's an advocacy group? New South Wales Farmers was something we were all members of, but they didn't seem to be doing anything in the space. So who's got some time to go to annual conference and take policies? That's their process. Who's got some time to go on Gundar Council? Who's got, and we sort of divvied it up. And I had time <laughs> um, because I just finished a training gig that I was doing um, through some farm biz training. Um, so I had some time. And so I went along and put my hand up for local government elections, was elected to Liverpool Plainshire Council and then went along to annual conference with Tim Duddy and um, we put up some policy at New South Wales Farmers. There happened to be a vacancy on the council uh, in my electorate, in my area, put my hand up, yes, got elected, and then there we go, I was off. And since then, um, I guess it's just been keeping on focusing on what's been important to me and taking those first steps of small little um, initial steps into this space and finding out that that is where you need to be if you're wanting to make a difference and how important good policy is. So two questions on that. Your situation um, with Karuna 
is it one of those kind of things that you wouldn't wish on anyone in that these people were just farmers just doing their thing and they were um that they were served up such un, unjustness and I no doubt you said it, it enraged you and it and it makes you and it it makes them angry and then very stressful and um it, it can just be one of those unexpected things that you never think will happen but um you, once you're there you can't get out of it yeah I'm, I would never um so for me, fortunately, because my farm wasn't right there, I, w- I was one step back um, and I could help and I could feel enraged, but it wasn't affecting me personally. But to actually watch some of the farmers who it was affecting personally, you know, just suddenly, you know, people, and this is actually, this has been replicated, you know, right across Australia mm. with different developments and things. Until mm. a government gets, you know, genuine consultation right, then this does get, this does happen and it's terrible and it throws people into this spot where um, suddenly for them there was this massive thing being proposed and it was it was terribly um, it was so stressful and we've had people you know we had the longest blockade I think still in Australian history um, there at one of the gates where um, you know BHP was wanting to enter but so terrible I would never I don't think any of the landowners it's been such a stressful thing and it's only just recently ended in terms of the the coal um, with Shenhua actually this you know selling the license back to the government in the last 12 months so 10 years over a decade of uncertainty for this community um, and the stress. People literally have died. People literally, have, you know, babies have been born. All of these things have happened during this period and the community has had one long, long, long fight. So exhausting, stressful, terrible, nobody would wish it on, on each other. The other thing is I reckon, though, there has been a positive, um, but this is not the way to get it, uh, which has really brought the community together. So during that time, you know, that blockade, the time we had the blockade and that blockade was manned from 7 a.m. in the morning till, till so business hours because the mining company was only allowed to come on um, during business hours. So 7 a.m., George Clift, he used to get there, he used to light a little campfire, boil the billy, and then people were rostered on to be at the blockade. So we had the, the, the granny's days, we had the baby's days, we had the <laughs> farmer's days, we had the, the mum's days, um, and that blockade was manned. And then he was there every day, day in, day out. God bless George, who's now moved on. But, um, you know, he, it, that blockade was there every day. And the community really, really, really came together. Um, and we were supported. I, I still remember we, we had to call the blockade quite quickly because the um, BHP had moved quite quickly on their legal action and we decided overnight to, to call the blockade. Um, and we actually rang the, <laughs> because we were so conservative, you know, we're really conservative region. We're still a conservative region, but we had no idea what to do with blockades and what to do with protests or anything like that. So we actually rang the Environmental Defender's Office and said, hey, we're, we're doing this blockade tomorrow. Um, what should we do? And they said, oh, well, do you know about linking arms and things if the police come? And we, so we said, oh, no, can you send us something? So anyway, so we had all that arriving in the mail, you know, overnight and the emails and things and um <laughs> typical country people we had somebody made scones somebody made scones for us to have while we're at the blockade um but anyway it was it really brought the the people together in the community and I think what I a lot of the the things that I do now are are doing that but not the way that 
the Karuna community was forced into it. It yeah. was, it's how do you make affirmative, strong communities with strong cohesive bonds where people belong and can work together and collaborate without having to be pushed into it through that terrible, awful process. So Fiona, as you were growing up, what did you want to be? <laughs> um, I, well, initially, and my brother always gave me a lot of stick for this, I wanted to be a ballerina in the Australian <sighs> ballet. I mean, what a joke that is. Wow. But, <laughs> really? I liked my ballet lessons and my piano lessons. But, no, um, I always thought I would be something in, uh, again, the city, as I said. I thought I was a city girl. Um, I did love my life in the bush. I had a, a horse that I, I rode every afternoon when I got home from school. I was able to attend. We were only 15 minutes out of Armadale, so I was able to attend school. Didn't have to do the boarding school thing. Um, so rode, loved my horse, um, helped Dad every weekend and in school holidays, you know, as a jillaroo. Um, loved all that, but just didn't think, you know, my mum was a physiotherapist and we were always encouraged to go on and do tertiary education. And I thought my career, you know, for me, the city lights beckoned. I wanted to travel. And so I thought perhaps my um, career, my future was in something in the health industry, maybe like a speech therapist um, or in the business community. And so I um, signed up for a business degree at Canberra CAE. So how has this process and your career trajectory really solidified what drives you and what you love in life? Well, I think back in the day, you know, when you're at school and you're being encouraged to think about your future career, it's so hard to actually understand what drives you. I mean, you're in your most formative year, um, you know, to actually zero in on your passions and work out what, what you do really. I mean, you're just picking careers out of thin air uh, and it seemed you know a lot of what you might want to do will be focused on who who you know that's already done it and who comes to the school and talks to you about it and some of the information that you might have gained through pro you know subject selection or something like that but then that was also focused on how you want your ATAR to look and you know all of those things so for me you know making those decisions early on and thinking and encouraging kids at school to think about you know what their career should be is actually the wrong thing. I think we should be encouraging kids to, to focus on who they are and find out, you know, who they are and what they are. And as they're planning their education, and education's lifelong, but as they're planning those things, just be open to, and it, it is now a thing that, you know, millennials particularly change careers so often. And how great is that? As people explore themselves and find themselves, then, you know, we now have pathways and learning opportunities that people can change what they're doing and keep finding those things that they're passionate about and moving into spaces um, when, where they can really make a difference. And there's a saying that's always driven me and there's a few varieties of it now, but that basically says don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go and do it because what the world needs is people who've come alive. And the premise of that, I think, is, you know, don't, you know, so many people get disappointed in life because they might want to be or their parents might want them to be, you know, the prime minister or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, um, where in actual fact this joy of self, this voyage of self-discovery, which is a lifelong voyage and learning and finding what drives you, the people who can really make the biggest contributions and the people who are most satisfied in what they do are people who are following their, you know, what is important to them. And that's the critical thing. Mm -hmm. And so for you, Fiona, at what point in the journey did you um, 
have the feeling that you're like, oh, this is this is the thing that drives me and this is what I want to do. And what was it about that that kept you pushing forward into politics and advocacy? Well, I think, again, I haven't had a, for me it's about, um, for me it's about one step at a time in terms of the things that I do. Um, and I'm at a stage now, which is really great, where I can really be picky and choosy about what roles I take on and what boards I sit on and um, and the, and and where I go. And again, it's just been one step at a time. So for me, when I when I got involved in some of those early advocacy issues, I found I was really passionate about community. Um, what are the, you know, how do we get healthy communities and local government, you know, being exposed to that sort of a process in terms of, you know, the health, the education, the infrastructure routes and those sorts of things. Um, that's, that was really important to me. And also um, in, in the national, in the New South Wales farmers, you know, I'm a farmer, I've got a family farm, I want agriculture to have a strong future in Australia. And so I, and I do remember being asked whether I wanted to be the, the head of national National farmers and I went oh no that don't be ridiculous um, and they said why why don't you want to do that and I said oh because you know trade and stuff I'm not really that interested in trade well now actually I head up the trade committee I've traveled overseas I've met with <laughs> met with some of some of our trade leaders I talk to the trade minister all the time um, I've been on trips with the prime minister signing trade agreements um, you know lots of things like that um, all focused on trade <laughs> just because each time you know there an opportunity is presented and I've um, been able to do that learning that's that I'm the right person for the job I've got the skills uh, I know I'm really clear about what I'm good at what I'm not good at um, and um, and also I think I've just taken each opportunity as it's come so um, and I've had some amazing opportunities that I never would have thought I'd have um, at a time when some people are thinking you know oh okay it's time to slow down and retire and move on a bit um, and maybe that is coming to a point at some stage for me closer and closer obviously but but it's um, the last decade you know 12 or 15 years have been phenomenal and it's just because it's literally just you know one thing at a time what am I passionate about what opportunities have I got what opportunities that I could put my hand up for that I think I'm the right person for and that I could be supported to do that and that's where I can make a difference for me it is about making a difference and um, taking on opportunities where I think I can make a difference in ever so smaller smaller space. Today's episode of Life on the Land is brought to you by SkyMesh. Do you need access to fast, reliable internet service at your regional home or business? Join Australia's most awarded specialised rural internet provider that's trusted by over 45,000 Aussies. Secure your free NBN Sky Master or fixed wireless internet installation today on a no lock-in contract. Plans start from just $34.95 per month with Brisbane-based seven days a week support. Make the switch today and access better internet for your home or business. Visit skymesh.net.au and get connected or call 1300 759 637 now. Service availability is determined by NBN. So I'm interested to know, as you entered the foray of politics and advocacy and 
and this this world that seems to so many people from the outsiders um, quite intimidating and um, cumbersome and overwhelming and huge. I'm sure there were moments where you felt naive and um, maybe naive is not the right word, but you, you just felt unqualified for what you were doing. How did you approach those kind of feelings and how did you keep moving forward with confidence? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I've had some doozy experiences, um, I must say, as um, as a woman in this world too, which is ma- largely a male a male world. Um, I think, and one of the things that I have struggled with, um, which a lot of women do, is is the imposter syndrome thing where and and so even now I'm talking to you know because I've got national farmers but we've been able to initiate the diversity and ag leadership program which is about bringing people into senior positions and things and I'm talking to women all the time who are just like me who have some of them but but way better qualified so some of them have you know multiple degrees experience expertise blah 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 and they're still saying um, but am I the right person for this job? Can I really do this? You know, maybe it's, it's this voice we have in our heads. I know blokes have it too sometimes. It's not just women, but women are particularly bad at it. And and I, I, I certainly have struggled with that. And so for me, some of the leadership courses that I've done during my time, ideally you do these leadership courses ahead of doing anything like I've done, but I didn't sort of have that. It just didn't work like that. I got into the positions and then I had to backfill. Um, And so leadership courses as I've been going along, but, you know, naming that voice and saying, hey, wait a minute, let's be really logical about this, Fiona. Um, You're going to go into a situation that you may not think you're eminently qualified for, but really, aren't you? Don't you have this, 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 this? Haven't you got this experience, this expertise? Haven't you done this? Hasn't that caused what you've done? Isn't that this, this, this? So it's talking back to that voice and being, uh, learning how to be confident and learning how to be comfortable with yourself learning really understanding yourself but more importantly than anything as you understand yourself and you understand what you're good at and what you're not good at then you actually then um, can make sure that you surround yourself with people um, who can actually support you because some people you know for me I'm really clear about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and I need to have this team of supporters around me at home it's the family as I've said uh, on a personal level and my friendship group um, and my and my um, my professional friendship groups but it's also at in the boards that I'm on, in the teams that I work in, it's making sure that I have people there that can carry on, irrespective of where I am or what I'm doing, clear about what my role is and clear about what their role is so that we can actually take some of the personalities out of these um, situations, take some of the emotions out of these situations and just get back to what we're meant to be doing and dealing with the facts and taking the job um, at, at, at face value. So it's it's something you just learn I think as you go along because what some people may not realize is that during your term with the NFF you've actually had multiple surgeries and that has meant that you've really had to draw upon your team tell me about that and how you did man your team to um, keep things smooth sailing while you weren't as physically able as as you usually are yeah, so I've had uh, in 2000 and since when I came in in 2016, I've had five joint replacements. So I've got a um, congenital, uh, like a 
a condition which is a sort of an arthritis and exacerbated by other things, which has meant that I've got I've had two hips, um, one foot, one shoulder. <laughs> um, it's it's How are you it's still been, walking. <laughs> no, but do you know what? Um, it's and one of like when I had my foot rebuilt, I was actually at home for four months with it up, no, no weight bearing. And so and, and I don't think anybody really much realized. And that's great. You know, for me, just dealing with those things. I mean, how good to be able to plan for that, for example. And most people have something. Sky, I reckon. You know, you, every, nobody's perfect. People have things happen. People have terrible diseases happen. People have terrible accidents happen unexpectedly. People have these amazing things happen. That's just life. And for me, um, one of the things about being so clear about how you surround yourself with people who are going to support you and support what you do and being clear about your role and their roles mean that, you know, you don't just to be because you're a leader and because you have a profile, um, you don't have to be every, you don't have to be everything to everyone and you don't have to be everywhere doing everything. And in fact, one of the that's been one of the exciting things for me is that during those times when I had that to take time out with surgeries and things. Um, and I do have to look after myself a bit now in terms of exercise and making sure that I just keep keep doing those things. Then uh, most people didn't even know that I wasn't in action because of the team that I had around me, particularly at places like the NFF, who have such a public profile. So, you know, nobody knew I was sitting on the back veranda with my foot up for four months um, because the team was so great. And so it's about, I think, you know, and it, whether you're in a family unit or whether you're in a team or whether you're in a board, it is making sure that you surround yourself with people who, you know, some people don't want to surround themselves with people who are too good because it makes them look bad. But for me, um, the better calibre of people that I can surround myself with, the more that they can be things that I'm not, the better, because that will really help fill in the gaps. And, and at the end of the day, help me to achieve the outcomes that I'm seeking in some of the things that I do. Now, right now is such an important time for Australian agriculture and the people who are, are living this life. There's such, we're experiencing some really huge winds of change with climate change and also some big opportunities as well. And the NFF has really become a part of the national conversation around this. So when when you're, I, I'm interested to know um, when you first started with the NFF, but are you happy with the part that agriculture, the seat that agriculture in Australia had at the table and how that's changed since you've been there? Yeah, so no. I mean, yes, you're right. Climate change is a massive issue for us and a massive issue for agriculture and in terms of some of the opportunities that there are and challenges too about um, farming in, a, in an incredibly and increasingly erratic environment. So um, I, when, we, when I came into the role, um, I felt that, and there had been a feeling for a while anyway, but I, I particularly was focused in making sure that agriculture had to be part of the, part of the conversation. Um, and have a seat at the table because sometimes it's easy for people who live in urban communities to be really passionate about things that um, if they're doing something about it, it's just ticking a box, literally. So if you want to fly, if you if you live in, in a in a city and you want you're a little bit climate conscious, then if you're going to fly to London, you might tick a box that might make you feel better that says that you want to be carbon neutral and you're happy to pay two dollars um, for quarters to plant a tree somewhere. But it doesn't have to actually personally affect you. 
<laughs> Whereas a farm and agriculture, we are out there on the farm, you know, storing that carbon in the soil, wanting to put more in there actually because it's better for our crops and our animals and our plants and things, growing those animals, um, you know, looking after the landscape. And so for us it's really personal and I just felt it was really wrong that we'd got somehow into this political paradigm where um, because of the political nuances around climate change, we have got removed from the conversation and taken out of the conversation and somehow or other blamed even um, for some of these changes. And so we needed to change that conversation. And, in fact, at NFF, one of the first things we did when I came in, um, and I saw this as really critical, was getting on the front foot about what our future looks like. Because as an advocate, sometimes you're on the receiving end of, of things that, you know, brain 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 fart suddenly or policy things that that's probably very irreverent to say brain fart. But anyway, suddenly policies come out um, that um, from government that you've got no idea are coming. Um, and that things come out that, that you've got no, you weren't consulted on, you've got no idea, and you're on the receiving end and you've got to be really reactive. But in a general rule, the more time you can spend in the proactive space where you're in charge of your destiny, where you're charting your future, um, then whether you're a person or whether you're an industry, then I think that's a really thing, important thing to be. And so for us in 2018, doing the um, 2030 uh, roadmap, where we've set a vision for our industry, we've taken control of it. We went around Australia, 26 locations from, from Broome to Burnie and everything in between, lots of little regional locations, invitations, where we spoke to farmers, spoke to stakeholders, spoke to community members about what they thought the future for agriculture held, um, positives and negatives. And climate change came through really strongly as one of those issues. And so charting that future in our roadmap, bringing government along for that conversation, meant that then we were able to actually take a seat at the table, meant that we were able to start talking about some of the facts, you know, unpacking some of the, the discussions around climate change, taking the politics out of it, taking people out of their own little social media um, room where they're often surrounded by the, you know, the same voices, the little echo chambers, um, to be thinking about this at a bigger picture. And that's why now um, we are very public um, and we have a huge profile um, because we've been able to take people on that journey and we're now very firmly part of the conversation. And I'm a little bit excited, actually, that even in recent weeks with all this Glasgow stuff going on, um, that agriculture, we're now actually hearing people saying, well, wait a minute, cows are not actually the issue, really. Um, farmers are not the issue. You know, we are all very sustainable. Look how much we've already done. Look how much farmers have already done. I mean, that sort of approbation, that sort of language from um, commentators has, has really changed since, you know, the days when we were absent. What's it been like being a female in, in this time? Has it actually has it been difficult or has it in some ways worked to your advantage um both um so I'm a bit of the champions of change school of thought to be honest so for me as the first female on many of my boards in many of my groups um in many of the things that I do in ag um, I've been surrounded and supported by males to do what I do. And that is an, that's part of the culture that we have to keep reinforcing um, 
in our industry and in our in our groups. Um, you know, we do want a culture that's belonging and inclusive and, and, and we want to keep talking about that. And I think agriculture generally, most of our farms are um, partnerships, more traditional sort of partnerships with women and men. And there's lots of women involved at a grassroots level, but bringing those women up to leadership levels in our industries is what we need to keep doing, which is why I've been really passionate about some of those projects in agriculture. Um, I think I, I am really conscious about the benefits of diversity and bringing women along. And one of the exciting things I think is seeing now younger women who are active and involved at, at um, diff, doing different things sometimes, but really having that supportive network that my generation didn't have as much in terms of, of what they do and their businesses and setting up businesses in rural and regional communities and off their farms where they do support each other and they link into each other. And, um, you know, when I talk to them, I think how exciting it is that I think the world is changing in terms of some of the, the diversity and generational expectations and things that are of people. But I think still, you know, you have, we just still have to work on it because um, it's, it's so important. And what about politics, Fiona? Um, how do you feel about politics in general like the strategy and negotiation and the consultation that comes with it I think some of the politics that's around at the moment to be honest really gets in the way of a really good outcome um, I, and I think that's the the politics that's surrounding some of our so we in Australia we have this political system um, and we have you know major parties and then we now have a, a growing band of independents as well um, but I think some of the, you know, it does my head in, some of the factional th things that happen in political parties in particular, um, you know, I think they really get in the way of, of really good outcomes for communities. And I think that's why people sometimes are disenchanted with politics. I mean, I have to deal with it. I, the only way that I can deal with it and in my job at NFF is to stay, you know, it, despite people loving to hit us up all the time, supposedly for whatever we are or whoever we are and things out there about different parties. We are firmly apolitical. This week I've been meeting with um, the ministers in the, in the government and ministers, shadow ministers in the opposition and also talking to crossbenchers and so that's that's what I do on a daily basis and we have to you know I've built up a lot of relationships with ministers over my time um, but you have to be you have to I have to stay out of the politics it drives me mad and I think that's why community members now are actually getting frustrated sometimes with some of the big political parties because if we still have these sorts of factional interests in there where sometimes it appears to the public and to the community that um, really good outcomes are being put to one side because of factional issues, then I think, you know, politics really needs to evolve. And maybe that's what's happening now with some of the growing band of independence that we're seeing there coming through too. So your term with the NFF finishes in 2023, is that right? 2023, November 2023. And what are you looking forward to doing when when that term comes to an end? Oh, do you know what? I think I'm going to be a bit sad, um, actually, because it's such a fascinating job. You know, this week I've been out at Wagga Wagga talking to, you know, connectivity staff and talking to farmers and talking, but uh, probably spending a bit more time. So there could be some more board roles for me. Um, I wouldn't say no to that. 
definitely not politics. That's off the table for the moment completely. Um, spending more time with my family and my husband. We took off actually this year um, for some time in a camper trailer and travelled and spent some some great time in rural and regional Australia recharging the batteries. Um, and so maybe a bit more of that. Um, definitely some time with family. So two new little grandchildren, um, just so exciting, wonderful space, um, and another on the way. So looking forward to that as well. Um, but, I mean, who knows what the future holds? And that's what I think I always say. You know, I, I do need to take some time to have a little rest, I think. It's been a busy time. But I'm also looking forward to I've got many years ahead of me where I can still really contribute and contribute strongly and keep following those passions that I want to do. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe some more board roles or some some looking at ways that I can influence rural and regional Australia and the growth and some of the things that I've started on influencing here. Well, Fiona, it's been so lovely to speak with you and to learn a little bit more about your own personal life behind the scenes of being such a public figure for agriculture in Australia. So thank you so much for speaking with us on Life on the Land. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Sky, for having me. I just think that any female who walks the halls of our parliament by week and then goes home to a farm on the weekend and manages to read, spend precious time with family, immediate and extended, and still has time and a desire to batch cook a whole heap of frozen meals to feed her family while she is away the next week is so incredible. I did find myself thinking about this chat a lot since I recorded it and surely all women who spend regular intervals away from home don't do this or maybe they do such as their ability to manage their time and family and work either way I think it is so commendable I'd I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Fiona Simpson and was equally surprised at how grounded she is you can get excited because the summer edition of Grazy Her is with the printers as we speak and will be swinging its way to your mailbox or news agency to go on sale by the 29th of November. It's a great time to subscribe, not only because it's an awesome Christmas present, but because we have a new offer for you. Subscribe for two or three years and receive a Grazy Her and RB Sellers Collaboration 2022 Diary, celebrating women on the land. Across 160 pages, you'll find over 600 notable country events, beautiful photography and handy goal-setting sections at the start of each month. Love that. Subscribe now at grazyher.com.au. Thank you to today's sponsor, Sky Mesh. And as always, we thank you for coming back to listen again and again and for sharing our podcast with others who you know love a good story of hard work, resilience, and just generally about women's life in rural, remote and regional Australia. We'll be back next week with another equally awesome Life on the Land story. 